Hello, welcome to uh, the Licoristics Podcast. My name is Oscar, um, and I am a PhD uh, student in Johns Hopkins University in the Department of Philosophy. And I study the politics of uh, knowledge production, but I'm particularly interested in like Black queer um, epistemic resources, and but also the lives lived <laughs> by actual Black queer people. Um, and that's what I do. I'm also a learner, artist, reader. And I am Steven. I am a so, well former sociology student, also a nursing student as of fall 2021. And I work in, I currently work in healthcare and have a focus on HIV prevention and rare health. And um, my name is Guillermo P. Um, I am a uh, board certified pediatrician specializing in adolescent medicine. Um, I identify as a gay cis male and I use he him pronouns um, and I um, am very interested in the intersection of um, race and gender identity when it comes to healthcare disparities in LGBTQ patients and I live in New York. <laughs> and I'm Natalie DeRoso. I am also born and raised New Yorker. I am a board certified pediatrician as well and specialize in adolescent medicine. I work with side by side Guillermo and I guess I'm coming to you this is an interesting place for me to be coming as like the cisgendered woman <laughs> straight uh black woman in this place I'm usually not the uh like not in the ally role but I guess I am coming to you guys with the ally role and um I'm really passionate about just like minority health black women's health including all gamuts of black women right so that includes my transgender black women that includes my uh, lesbian queer and bisexual identifying black women. Um, and I am very passionate about reproductive health and, uh, and reproductive justice and what that means and how that plays a role in um, allowing queer people to live their full lives and have access to appropriate healthcare. She's the biggest ally I could ever imagine if there was a, <laughs> I don't think there is a bigger ally. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate that. I appreciate the, uh, the compliment. I try. <laughs> Amazing. It's oh, such an amazing. honor to have you guys here today. Welcome. Us. Welcome. Exciting. We have not a lot of podcasts, but I think this is a great format to like talk about some of the things that we want to talk about today. Thank you. Awesome. Well, I know I have uh, my few sort of sets of questions that I'd like to ask, um, but I'm also trying to be, you know, a little more conversational flowy. I've been accused sometimes of being uh, too just question <laughs> to, um, I mean, question asking but you want to you want to know from like our experience or like how we got into this work if that helps to kind of let the conversation go because I think we do a lot of sex ed in its own space and I think we've had our own experience about sex ed um as, as individuals right mm -hmm. um in that space and, and I think we see how sex ed is taught so um I for one like I have been doing this work for a while like um, I didn't realize I was doing it. Like I didn't, I didn't intentionally do it. I was interested in sex, I, going to medical school. I worked as a sexual health educator in college. Um, and then I worked at The Door, which is another um, youth, very LGBT friendly health center that's over in Tribeca for two years and before I went to med school. And then I came back and I'm now in New York kind of doing the same work, but as a provider. And so I think I personally realized that like sex ed in general is like, lacking in the United States, even in New York. And then queer sex health is even more foreign. Um, and so I think we're trying to do our part to add to that, that aspect. Yeah, I mean, that's, that sounds perfect. Um, I, I'd love to hear a little bit uh, about what you guys do 
um, or specifically your journeys, but maybe also oriented to towards like, what are three things you've learned um, as well about queer sex health that you feel like are important and should be in every like sex health or health program in like schools as, as, as a starting question? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, so I, I came into this, um, you know, myself with my own experience being a Hispanic gay male and interfacing with the, um, the medical system. Um, and I, I remember when I first moved to New York, um, I, I found, I was trying to find a PCP, like a regular doctor to go to and establish with. And I did find one that was close to where I was doing my training. And, you know, I, I, the first visit I had with this doctor, like, uh, you know, having some medical knowledge, like I was able to kind of like tell them, tell him what I was hoping to get from the visit. And, and, and I just felt very um, uncomfortable. There was like a weird interaction with him. Like I could tell he was uncomfortable with like my sexuality. And I was like, it just felt very weird. And, and after that, I, I never went back to him. Um, but I, um, and he was fairly young too. So I was, I was really surprised. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay. Even in New York, you know? Um, so I, I, I tried to find um, my, you know, another doctor that I could go to that was more accepting and that'd be more, you know, aware of this. And it was really hard. Um, I was even asking, you know, uh, mentors and people that, you know, that were attending already, like, do you know of anyone? And, and people didn't really have a great idea. They did suggest me to another place. And, and once I did, I found that, that doctor, unfortunately, that doctor like went on a leave. So I only did one visit there. And then through a friend, I found my current doctor um, and much more accepting, much more comfortable. Like, and I wanted somebody to look out for me too, like to make sure that I, that somebody's like keeping, you know, track of what preventative things I need to doing the right screenings. And so I feel very happy and comfortable with it now, but my point is that it's really hard. And I think one lesson to learn from that is that it's really important to find um, a healthcare provider, a doctor, or a nurse practitioner, PA, somebody who you trust and that's very affirming and is going to look out for you and is comfortable with this. Because even in places like New York, it's, it's still not um, as common as you would think it is to find somebody like this. So really having, um, you know, the, the, the knowledge is important. And then you add race into it too. It's like, it's even more of a, of an issue so it's like important to have somebody that is affirming and that is is going to partner with you to um, make sure that you're getting the best care that you deserve um so that's definitely one lesson that i would um say is important um in Guillermo's story another lesson to realize is like you have the right to you have the right to the care too right so it's not only you search it but you have the right to the care right so his story is kind of telling us like it didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. You don't have to keep going to that one person, right? There, is, there are people who are dedicated to doing this work um, and who believe in giving appropriate care and, and compassionate care to queer people, right? And so you don't have to just say, oh, this is the, this is the doctor I have. If it doesn't feel right, trust your gut. Um, ask, your, ask your community, who do you like who you have? You know, do the, do, you know, research to, to switch. People often even you know, not, not even just speaking about just like queer people, people often stick with the one provider they have, like, this is who I've had forever. This is my, this is my parents see, and that's it. No, there's, there's, there's thousands of doctors that graduate every year and more and more of them identify as queer as well. Mm-hmm. Good point, very good point, thank you. I think a third point to think about, about 
queer self-help is like just acknowledging that you know you're saying I didn't learn anything acknowledging that you didn't learn anything is not by accident that you Mm -hmm. didn't right like I think sometimes we get gaslit and we think that things are in our head it's not by accident it's intentional that they don't teach you things right it's intentional that sex health is not well taught in, in in schools in general because of this like oppressive judeo-christian society that we sometimes live in and then depending on where you live there are some states that actually have things like no homo laws like mm-hmm. literally have have laws that say you cannot teach anything that shows lgbtq people in a healthy light or promote sexuality wow wow yeah so that's like in um it's like six states so it's like um alabama louisiana mississippi oklahoma south carolina north carolina florida illinois and texas and they all have states that say teachers are actively they either they either actively say you can't do things that promote homosexuality or show like lgbt people in a positive light if at all or they're supposed to actually do things that further stigmatize or show the community in negative ways. And this is through K through 12. So it's not in your head that you don't know things, right? There is an intentional thing by law legislators to keep you from knowing things because they are afraid. So when we see like these laws changing about keeping trans kids out of sports, that's an intentional like movement to separate and marginalized trans individuals. I'm speechless. Like, <laughs> I truly yeah. did not know that. And thank you for speaking too on the recent laws that have been going on in the um, United States. I saw um, something Alana said now 30, 31 or 33 states have um, provided or um, uh, written up anti-trans laws now. 33. 33, yeah. 33. And it's like, why? Like, why? You don't have that many, like, I think when you, when you were talking about those things, you're thinking about how you're depriving trans kids from things that provide them community and support, Mm -hmm. especially if they're on teams that support their firm gender. Right. Um, And there's not that many, like people are saying, oh, there's like this, this, there's this disadvantage. And I'm like, I don't know, we didn't have a problem with Lance Armstrong and mm-hmm. things for decades but suddenly there's this huge disadvantage it's not true and i think you're you know you're talking about this disadvantage that there's all these kids are wanting to be on an olympic level of sports right like there's nothing wanting to do transmural like basketball but like, mm-hmm. it's not an issue if you want to do cheerleading for a semester or two because you feel like it's supportive but if you look at those laws i mean they're all about protecting cisgendered white women mm-hmm. that's what it is like literally one of them is called protecting America's young women, right? And so nobody wants someone with a penis in a girl's locker room. That's what it boils down to. There's no, there's no real evidence to say, oh, trans kids playing sports with their firm gender is a disadvantage of other kids. That's like being like every black kid on a basketball team is a disadvantage to yeah. all the white kids on the team. There are some kids who can't play, i.e. me and my brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's scary and it's it, i was actually on a call recently and like when, uh, with other providers and, and and individuals interested in this and and one of our one of the one of the doctors in one of these states is actually saying like yeah we're setting up a gofundme so that you guys can we can be bailed out because we're probably going to be arrested for like prescribing things like 
you know, antidepressants to these kids that need this. I mean, the way I view it too is like, this is unrelated to like, like similarly related, but you know, when it comes to gender affirming care, like I honestly view it as life sustaining. This is like life sustaining. Like there's such a high suicide rate in this, in this population. And, you know, you're providing, I mean, I can't imagine what it must be like to live in, in your own body is not what you feel you, you identify with. Like it's so, it must be so disturbing and to think that they're trying to take that away. That's really, you know, it's scary. And I don't see it as like, Oh, like you're just helping. You're like keeping them alive in a way, you know, like the, the faces and the, and the way that these, um, you know, patients, when they start their hormones are so, you know, they feel so much better. They feel so, so, you know, happy and affirmed for the first time in their life often, you know? So um, it's just scary that, that the legislation is happening this way that even, it's getting in the way between the doctor and the patient. And I, I think when they're like, I don't know, it's interesting. Like when people are speaking about these, these aspects, like, you know, I don't want to narrow it to just trans rights, but realizing that when you focus on the most marginalized person in your community, that affects the community as a whole. Mm-hmm. And when people, what people don't realize is like, not just like gender affirming hormones, but really just being affirming of someone's um, sexual orientation, someone's identity, it decreases the mortality and morbidity of LGBTQ people, right? Like allowing your child who like, you know, like expresses to you that they are gay, allowing them to be who they are as a parent even decreases the, and supporting them decreases the, the chances of them being depressed, decreases the chances of them using substances, Decreases the chances of them like committing suicide, um, you know, and really like pouring into them versus taking away from them um, is something that parents can do and and support and support can do, and that's throughout the entire community. That thank you so much for adding that. That was actually goes into what most of you just contributed it goes into my next question, which was going to be, um, you know, what are some advocacy tools? for trans youth and adults, black queer folks and people living with HIV, like seeking care that they can use not only within their community, but also uh, within gaining uh, medical care. Yeah, there's some great, um, so, I mean, for advocacy tools and getting medical care, like it's, you know, again, like I spoke about like my personal experiences, like it's hard to find that even for us as providers. Um, but it's trying to first identify somebody, um, a provider that you can trust and you can partner with to, that would be comfortable enough, like to give you the affirming care that you deserve and that you have a right to have. Um, so, you know, in New York city specifically, there are some clinics, um, that are, um, very queer friendly, um, and that usually provide care at low cost. So, um, one place is the Mount Sinai Adolescent Health Center, um, that's um, in the Upper East Side, like on the border of Harlem. And then Callum Board is also a great resource um, in New York City to, of, to get care for um, these pa- for patients. And, um, um, and then there's usually like a Planned Parenthood. Um, people don't commonly think of it as like a place to get this kind of care, but, but they are very, um, they work in this environment. They are very supportive of uh, this kind of care. So it's one place that patients can turn to to get that. Um, and then in terms are, of like, oh, sorry, go ahead now. Help you out too. Um, there are other like other like online tools too as well. Like um, I know, uh, Gamma, you can talk about like the Gilead website has some helpful options. Yeah, yeah. So the Gilead website 
Um, there's a website called healthysexuals.com. Um, you know, so it is, it is run and sponsored by Gilead, which is the maker of uh, PrEP and other HIV medications. And full disclosure, we are not paid for by, by Gilead or, or anything. So we just, they, we just found this website. It's really good. It, it, it's really interactive and it goes through a very, um, you know, affirming and um, queer friendly way. Um, a lot of like resources and sex education It actually goes through like a questionnaire that you can take. And it, it, based on your like sexual practices and it kind of, based on the questionnaire, it'll tell you what kind of questions you want to bring up to your doctor, what kind of things you want to test for, um, you know, depending on like, you know, your sexual practice or like what parts have fun, you know, that's what we sometimes say when we're asking patients, but, but it's a really um, user-friendly interactive way to get, um, um, you know, to know what to look out for and to, and to, to bring up to your doctor um, too. Um, to be your your best advocate for yourself. Um, so I think I really recommend that website. It's very good. Awesome. Then there's also a couple other websites that we come up, we can, we have that um, actually provide online service for. This is kind of focused on the um, like medical side for providing med uh, uh, affirming care. So it's the first one's queerdoc.com, and that um, is a, a service and a website that provides gender affirming care, um, including hormone therapy, puberty blockers, mental health, and, and surgery referrals. Um, and it's totally online. It's only in certain states, though, is the only catch. So it's in Florida, Idaho, Washington, Wyoming, and Alaska right now. Um, but that's a really uh, good website for that. And then the other service is getplume.co slash services. Um, and that is also, it's a membership only service. So that one's in um, a little different model. It uses your smartphone though to get gender affirming care. There's an initial membership, um, but they also help supply letters for support for surgery for um, members and and for non-members it's $150. So often you'll need like a letter of support when you're going for um, any gender affirming surgeries, and um, that website can help uh, people get that um, get that done. Um, it can get be very hard to get a letter. So. Um, mm -hmm. Or if you don't have like a, a therapist, like you end up spending a lot of money out, out of pocket. So this is a good option. And then okay. I was going to say like, um, you know, some of those websites also offer like the birth control websites like Nurex, um, things where people um, can get birth control online. They also offer prep online without seeing a physician. So that's another option. And then Mount Sinai helps to run the New York City PEP hotline. So there is a New York City PEP hotline if you ever need access to free low-cost PEP. Um, and they'll connect you with a provider as well who's capable of um, writing it and get you access to like testing and things like that. Um, and so that number, in case anyone needs it, is actually um, 1-844-PEP-NYC, 1-844-PEP-FOR-NOW, sorry, PEP-FOR-NOW. NYC. So 844-737-4669. And you can call that 24 hours a day. You might catch me one day. Um, and we can help guide you to getting. That's amazing. Thank you guys so much for those resources. Um, I just have one quick, Guillermo, could you repeat the second uh, website you mentioned, the Get? Get Plume, I think. Oh, yeah, Get Plume. Dot co like dot co slash services gotcha thank you so much um you guys are providing me with a lot of information i'm like wow i didn't know half this stuff <laughs> like for myself one thing as you guys were talking um made me realize 
you know, oftentimes just in my own experience, I have a hard time um, feeling like I can open up that channel of communication with my provider. So I was just thinking, you know, what are some things that can help kind of um, open up that conduit of trust with patient and provider um, from your own experiences or maybe putting yourself in a patient's experience, what can they do on their end as well? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I think putting myself in like the patient's shoes um, I and like the position from the patient, I think that um, there's, I don't know, it's like hard to sometimes like um, to describe it, but you kind of get like this vibe, you know, from the doctor you're talking to if you feel comfortable enough with them. Um, and I think that by, especially by the way, like they ask questions. So like, you know, if you've seen a provider who starts out by asking, like, you know, d introducing themselves and using like their pronouns, then you have an idea that they're, you know, you know, might be more affirming that they might be, you might be able to open up with this person. Um, but I think that it's important for um, doctors to, and providers to to really be non-judgmental in the way that they ask things and like and and sometimes it's it's hard because a lot of times you talk about uncomfortable things like you know sex practices and like relations but it's open it's important to remind the patient that you ask all your you know it's kind of like normalized situations so that they feel like this is something that everybody you know that you see gets asked and that you know you just want to do this in order to provide a patient with their best care that you can get them to make sure you're screening for the right thing. So when you hear things like that, I think that's a, a sign that you're, you know, you, you can start, you might be able to trust that person to open up to them and tell them, um, ask them questions about um, your care. But um, that's, that's one thing I would say to start out with. Um, if Natalie has more to say about yeah, that. Yeah, um, I think one, just jumping off what Guillermo said, like nothing is new. Like, I mean, there, I mean, people still try new stuff, but for the most part, people have all types of sex since the beginning of time. So people often feel like they're really novel. I mean, we work with adolescents and so adolescents are really um, egocentric. Mm -hmm. And so they are, the, they are the center of their story and no one else has an experience like them. And what they don't realize is that I have 10 patients that afternoon who have the same problem. Um, and so sometimes just remind yourself, like, this ain't new, like they, some, they've seen it before. And if they're here, they should, they should be expected to like handle it um, versus like, making yourself think oh my god like no one's ever heard this before not know what to do most part most people do and if and i'll give you a, a doctor trick even if we've never heard or seen it before we will pretend like we have <laughs> right because it's like it's about having a poker face because you don't want to you don't want to basically give the patient some sense of um insecurity in being mm -hmm. like, I don't know, like, you can be like, I'm concerned, I need to read about this more. But for the most part, I usually act like I've seen it before, even if I haven't. To get, and I buy myself some more time to research and come with a good answer. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing to think about is, I think, I think patients who utilize the visit well is um, the ones who get the most out of it. So um, I try to teach, especially like my younger kids who are going to go and start going to visits by themselves, to talk to their parents about making a list about what they're gonna talk to the doctor about. Because sometimes people come and they're like, tune me up. And I'm like, you have a 15 minute appointment. <laughs> like I, you know, this is not the, if you take your car to the garage, you know, there's visits where it's like annual tune up and they'll run a diagnostic. And then there's visits where it's like, oh, do you need your brakes? And that's it, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, when you take your car to the garage, you don't want them to do everything because you don't have a bill. You're not ready to walk out there spending a thousand dollars. You're like, no, I told you to look at this and this one thing. 
people tend to do the reverse with the doctor and they ask for everything and then they get mad when we're like this is we're only doing these three things today um and so i encourage you to really kind of before you go write down what are the three most pressing things that i want to talk about today um and what are my questions around it because i have a lot of times i ask patients do you have any questions no and then I see them a month later and they're like, I didn't do anything that you told me to do because I didn't understand how to do it. So you, you know, you gotta, you gotta come with your questions, um, come with your, your topics that you need to discuss and your questions about it and not be afraid to ask the questions. These are, this is your time, right? Like you're paying for this visit somehow, either paying Medicaid, insurance, cash, time, because time is money. Mm-hmm. Um, so really come with like a pinpointed, these are the three things I want to talk about today. This is what I want to get tested for. And these are what I have questions about. Um, really helps to guide the visit. Um, even if you just have concerns, because we, when I know what concern you have, then I can really expand. There, there may, you know, I'll try not to miss things or things that I'm like, okay, that's not really a concern, but this, you know, you're, you're drinking like every day that we might want to really talk about that instead. But I will acknowledge what your concern is and try to make sure you're heard. Yeah, and just to add uh, a couple more things, I mean, not to plug that website again, but that Healthy Sexual website's got some great questions that you can like, based on what you answer, that help kind of like open up that conversation because that is a that is tough, you know, when you especially when you're meeting somebody for the first time a new doctor. Um, and the other thing too is like you know, you also pick up on signs, right? Like if you're walking into the doctor's office and you're in the waiting area and you see signs that are like supportive and they're like, I'm about prep and like, you know, you know, do you know what HIV is? Like, that's a sign that you might be at the right place, right? <laughs> like things are pointing in the right direction, you know? Um, so that that's kind of like another little soft sign. And then the other thing I would say too, is like, it's important if you don't understand something to ask what something means, because oftentimes, you know, we do our best to try to uh, to try to explain things, but sometimes we may not understand. We may, may not know how much the patient knows and, and doesn't know. So if you don't understand something, it's important to explain. I had a patient the other day who was like, you know, was explaining about condoms, and I'm like, do you know how to put a condom on? And he's like, oh no. And I'm like, okay, let's do it right now. I'm going to show you with my finger. But he didn't know how to put a condom on, and I'm like, I could have been giving condoms left and right, but what good is it if he can't even put a condom on? So it's important to like really, you know, ask questions. Be like, wait, when you said this, I didn't understand what that means, you know, um, and and really clarify what they're saying. I had a patient actually earlier this week who is using the patch, and some there's just something about how the way she's using the patch, which is a contraception method for birth control, and there's just something about the way she mentioned it that I just picked up on, and I was like, how are you using your patch? And she's just using it as needed. She's using it like every time she has sex. No, no, no. You're supposed to be on this for like continually, continuously. Uh, I get pregnant. So she's been on it for a while, right? Like, so (laughs) you you don't be afraid to ask questions about things that you still were months ago. If you have the question, you have the question, you know? Um, And there are a lot of great ways if you're afraid to even ask the question in person. Because... I, I'll, I'll be honest, even as a physician, I mean, I went to the doctor the other day and I had something in the back of my mind. I just felt too nervous to ask when I was there. And I was like, damn, I just missed that opportunity. Everybody got email. Everyone has like a patient portal, some way to like contact the doctor. Like you want to make sure you give us an available phone number and ways for me to call you back. And, and a way that you want to make sure you have a way to contact me, right? Like it's my responsibility to be available and answer questions even after the visit. 
So having like, you know, at some places have like a, like a MyChart or a patient portal that you can use. You can send a message after the visit. Thanks. I had a couple questions about this that we didn't discuss. Can we talk about it over this patient portal or is it worth another visit? You'd be surprised. There's some things I'm like, oh, I can answer that over the, over, over text or sometimes I'd be like, no, this is a longer discussion come in, but don't be afraid to ask the question. Um, even after you leave. This, this truly is like getting at so many of the questions that were left open in the last discussion we had and you guys are like giving all the answers. <laughs> awesome. So thank you. Helping. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm glad we can help. I feel like, you know, we stick like really to the medical portion, but you know, there are a lot of stuff about queer health that we didn't even discuss, which is like queer health also being about consent mm-hmm. and boundaries and love and communication. Let's and, get into that. Uh, <laughs> huh? So let's get into it. Let's yeah. get into that. <laughs> I feel like sometimes we get really lost in like HIV, HIV, STDs, but like that happens to everybody. Everybody mm-hmm. can get HIV, everyone can get STDs. Um, but, the, you know, in love and having a loving relationship, there's a lot that you we need to talk about in terms of how do you talk to your partner? How do you like how do you enter into a relationship? I don't think that anyone really gets taught that and gets taught love um, and how to love appropriately. I think we try as, as much as we can in our visits to talk about what a healthy relationship is. Oh yes, yes. I actually am reading that too, although I have not finished Bell Hooks book yet. It's a, it's a, I'm 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 midway through. It's something yeah. you can take your time. Um, but yes, it's, um, I think it's important to, to one, talk about self-love with our patients. And like, I think going to the doctor and saying like, this is what I need. This is what I'm trying to understand in my body and what's happening is, is self-love in a way, um, in acknowledging like changes or questions and feeling comfortable with who you are before you can enter into a relationship. And then also like being honest about relationships. I mean, we talk to people about, about their sexual relationships every day and who they're having sex with and why they're having sex with the person, right? Mm-hmm. Not so much, um, you know, why in terms of just it being enjoyable, but is this a relationship you want to be in? Is it a relationship that's serving you? Is it a coercive relationship? Um, what is, how, how do you disclose to your partner? How do you, you know, how do you open up to, about what, you know, what your past has been? You know, a lot of the kids we see have a surprisingly amount of, large amount of trauma um, and that mm-hmm. makes relationships difficult and sometimes results in like more toxic relationships than healthy relationships. Right. Um, so, yeah, we send a lot of people to therapy to kind of talk about their trauma and, and foster good relationships. Yeah, yeah and that's, yeah, that's pretty important. Also like the fact that they might not know what trauma bonding is and how that can also influence a toxic relationship. I mean, I know this goes into like the next couple of questions we have. One about what people should know and where to begin in learning queer sex education, what not to do, what to do, and also how, are uh, the ways or the ways of learning queer sex safely in community are some are some of the things that you guys touched on but of course that we're going to be that we're going to go in, <laughs> you're actually going to go into them anyway so yeah i mean in terms of like what um you know what things to do um you know a few of the things that we would encourage to do is first is um educate yourself on on um queer sex and like there's still so people like have like a lot of like mysteries about sex but sex is very fluid you know and it's not like um there's no right or wrong way it's not the most important thing is to you know feel comfortable and have consent right and to make sure that um you feel safe in that but fluid the sex is very fluid so it's important to you know 
understand um, how you know S STIs and, and HIV get contracted when you when you are having sex and how you can protect yourself from that. Um, and then it's important to partner, like we talked about before, with uh, somebody with a provider that you can trust. And then, like Natalie said, like making the list of three things that you want to talk about the doctor, having a reliable phone number, very important um, to do um, that you can provide the doctor with, feeling empowered to not say to say you're not comfortable in situations. Um, another thing is using condoms, really important um, to wrap it up, and they actually do work. Um, and in addition to condoms, using lube every single time you have sex goes a long way. <laughs> Um, you don't want an, your comments to break midway through because that would defeat the purpose. Um, and then to get, um, you know, get tested and retested um, for your STIs and, and make sure your partners are getting tested and retested. Um, and I think, you know, kind of tying it back into the first point is having honest conversations with your sexual partners. Um, talk about what you like, what you don't like, what you want, what, what you're interested in, what the expectations are. Um, and then, you know, and of course, asking about like their um, STI status is uh, really important. I think expectation setting is big. Like as a single 30 something year old black woman, I would tell you, if you don't have expectations, you're gonna get your heart hurt, right? Like, is this a casual hookup? Is this a serious relationship? What am I looking for? You know, if you are someone who feels like you wanna be monogamous in a serious relationship, like, there's no point in dating all these other people who are just about hooking up. Like you're not gonna feel satisfied. You're not gonna feel loved. You're not gonna feel cared for. If you feel like you are, you know, you wanna be young, free, you wanna have a hot girl, hot boy summer, you know, you wanna have a good time. You are not interested in, in, in being responsible for anyone. That's okay too. You just need to set the expectation. So you're not having drama and um, fights and things like that, right? Like you want to be able to not only just protect yourself from disease, but you want to protect your heart too, right? Like you are a person. I think some of that advice is universal. It's just not given out enough, right? Like sometimes I've had, I've had a few trans women <laughs> as patients that I have like commiserated with about heartbreak mm -hmm. in a very real way. It's, it's universal, right? Love is universal. Heartbreak is unfortunately universal. Um, and some things about learning how to communicate your feelings which I think can be really challenging for people in the court community because they've had to box up their feelings. They've had family not be responsive to their feelings or felt like the community that they're around doesn't appreciate or respect their feelings can translate into your relationship. So fundamentally knowing how to communicate to someone, a friend, a lover can really really like help your your dating life i'll tell you i i date much better now that i've been through a lot of therapy like i'm very clear about this is how i feel this is what i want um this is what serves me and so i encourage everyone to think about a little bit of therapy and learning how to love yourself and learning how to share that love with other people and communicate with other people Oof, ain't that a word that's a word i will say we have to start to believe people like you know what's the saying from my angela like believe them the first time i forget i forget the thing but like when people show you who you are who they mm -hmm. are the first time like if a, par if a partner tells you like they're not looking for a serious relationship believe it just believe it then i will tell you i would have saved myself a lot of heartbreak in my 20s if i just believed this dude when he said nah i just want to hook up not if I keep messing around with him, 
oh, we're going to end up in a relationship. No, like you have to think about what you want and what the person tells you. If they change their mind and they come to you and they prove to you that they, this is what they want and you're open to it and you're available at that time, great, you can consider it. But if it is what it is and they tell you this, believe them. When you go to the store and they're like, this is the price for the TV, you're not like, oh, there's some other price. I mean, some people are. Some people are like, I'm sure I can get a discount. Mm-hmm. But they're going to look at you and be like, this is the price. This is it okay? Either you have, either you can expend it and 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 give more to, more to that that experience at the time, or you can't. I don't know if you wanted to add anything, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I think that you know it's 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 really important. I mean, and it's uh it's also like something that you know affects like I've I've gone through that experience too. Um, when I was single, I was like you know, I, I would literally, you know, tell guys like, oh, like, wait, what are we actually doing? Like, you know, and it, 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 and it only came out like after, you know, going through heartbreaks too and having, you know, similar situations. So it's, it's, uh, it's important to, you know, communicate, um, communicate and, and set expectations um, are very, very key. Um, and it's easier said than done, but it's important to have to do it. I also think that like, you have to realize that you grow like with time and what your expectations are, right? There's what your family expects for you. And I think, um, you know, in some ways, like I think I, I might feel the same pressure you guys have to like have a kid, have a family, right? Like, I mean, I don't know. There must, I personally feel like there's probably similar pressure um, and people looking at you like, why haven't you done it? Um, but for different reasons. Um, but I think, it's, it's hard to be honest with yourself and what you're looking for. Um, and then I also think it's, it, I also think you should challenge yourself um, to really think about what the possibilities are, right? Like for me, I think if you had told me like 10 years ago, like I didn't have my kid, kid in my thirties, I'd be like, I will never get pregnant, that's it. But now there's IVF, there's so many different things that the reality is different. And so I feel like sometimes queer people are told like, you can't have a family, you can't have children. It's so hard to adopt. But the reality is, is things change every day. Laws change all the time. And technology is like by far more advanced. And so when we're really talking about like family expectations, we're talking about family and the unit and what's supposed to have, I think you have to practice a bit of self-forgiveness for what society and what your even nuclear family has put on you and forge your own path. Like what fulfills me? Like, do I really want to be a parent? Do I really want to be someone's husband or wife? Do I, you know, like, do I need to live these heteronormative values if I don't have a heteronormative life? Right. Like I often have to tell my patients this who are like, but you know, like, like some of that, I have a, a whole, we try to talk to kids about fertility before they do trans, they start trans care, right? Like before you start hormones, do you want to freeze your eggs? Do you want to freeze your sperm? And often the kids are like, I don't want to have kids. And I'm like, okay, that's fine, you know, but just don't necessarily shut it down because it's a heteronormative life. Like don't make, don't like bend, your life is not heteronormative. So don't bend your life to these heteronormative rules. You can make your family the way you want it to be. And if your family is just your partner and your friends and your dog, people are very happy with those lives. And in fact, they have lots of money too because they're not spending it on childcare. So, you know, forgive the past, forgive some of that trauma and really kind of think about what does a family look like for you? This, this the white picket fence with the dog and the two kids, 
that shit ain't for everybody. Like it's it's not for everybody. And honestly, there's less of Americans who actually have it now. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, wholeheartedly agree with that. Like, I feel like, you know, growing up in this world, especially being gay, it's like we live in this heteronormative world, you know? And sometimes I, I feel like I am lucky enough that I work in a place where I get to, like, um, interface and see people that come from all walks of life so I don't, and from all, like, you know, um, structures. So I don't feel it as much necessarily, but, but we still live in a very heteronormative world. And it's like, we don't have examples of, of people like that we can look to necessarily to be like, oh, I want to be like them. So it's really hard. It's like you, you, you have what you're given and what you see. So it makes it really difficult to think that there are other ways to have a family. There are other ways to have, well, you know, we call it a chosen family, right? Like that's, there's not one way to do it. And it's, it's, it's hard, but you, you have to, um, you know, realize that, it's family is what you want it to be and who you want it to be with and it's, there's no right one way to do it that's amazing i appreciate you guys touching on that um especially uh you, you natalie like that made me think too especially like when it comes to reimagining rethinking what it means to have family or family unit i can understand especially you know for like black folks in general but black queer youth thinking like well maybe i won't live that long like, will I even see 30? Like, will I even see the age where I can see myself being a parent, taking care of a child, things like that? At least that's, you know, something that I remember thinking to myself when I was young and thinking like, do I even see myself past 25? Like, even at this age, I'm surprised at the ages that I reach, you know? I mean, there is that, that comment is so loaded, right? Like, there is, there's, there's, there are so many things that like inflict young black queer youth that makes their lifespan shorter, right? Like we're, mm-hmm. we're not, you know, you can talk about violence, right? We can talk about community violence. We can talk about police violence. We can talk about queer or sex-based violence and targeting and stigma. And th- we haven't even talked about like STDs, mm-hmm. right? We haven't even got to that. To be honest, HIV is not killing that many people right now. Like kids are doing great. Kid, you know, like we have people who are undetectable and are living like well into their like middle ages and older, you know, and dying of other things other than HIV. But there are so many things other than HIV that are affecting black, young black youth that are making them pr- depressed, making them commit suicide before we even get to what we thought was the killer in the 90s, right? Mm. Like all these other traumas are things that we actually really should be addressing when we're giving care and we should be supporting around. Um, and and giving people hope that they can live a full life. Um, I think that it's helpful that like, there are more examples in the world, right? Like when you were a kid, like there probably weren't as many examples. And now we have like more, you know, people on television, we have TV shows, we have things that show like black queer youth or black queer adults living lives. Um, But I think people need to see it more to know that there's something worth living um, and that they're that they are valued in this space, and they bring value to their families, they bring value to their friends, they bring value to this world. Yes, that's that's a word. That's and that's very very true. There are, especially for Black youth, a lot more hurdles that that go beyond the STI and HIV talk that that have that are that have to be seen and acknowledged and everything. So yes. Mm-hmm. Um, like this has ex- expanded my whole understanding of 
sexual health period and just the understanding of how it has to be holistic fully mm -hmm. as in every single kind of care this particular one has to be holistic on each part I mean, I mean, I personally love to keep track of partners. Like, I'd be like, oh, you still with that knucklehead? Like, <laughs> especially the people they go back and forth with. Like, you know, a lot of kids are, kids um, tend to be, like teenagers tend to be serial monogamous where they have like short relationships, mm -hmm. but they might have like one person for three months and another person, or they'll have like one person that that's that person. That's that person they've been doing all the unprotected sex with. And then they got like a couple in between. It's not the person. So let's keep track. Sometimes to be like, so what's going on? What about the other one in the background? Oh no, he's tripping today. Like, you know, um, <laughs> you learn a lot. I mean, I have one patient who is, she identifies as lesbian, but then she has a male partner, but only for oral sex because she doesn't like how her girlfriend does it. So, you know, wow. people are really fluid. So if, it, and it's helpful to know, right? Like it's, it, for me, it's helpful to know because I know what to test, right? Cause now I'm like, oh, okay. You actually have vaginal intercourse with someone with a penis. Like, okay, we need to, we need to do a couple more things and just, you know, we need to actually talk about birth control. Um, so it gives me more knowledge to definitely um, know more information. Great, great. So I believe we have one more question left. And it's about how to transition care to adult providers once they age out and how to ensure they can build those same relationships with the providers they had in their youth. Transition is really hard. It's really, really hard, um, especially like for people like us who hold on to patients till like their mid twenties. It can be really, really challenging um, for both the physician and the and the patient. Um, I think you have to realize transitions occur. Like patients will sometimes not think their transition occurred. They'll be like almost you know like a couple years away from thirty, and they would like, "What do you mean I can't come anymore?" And it's like you, you need to also come to the conclusion that. We, we grow up, right? And we, we're not gonna go to the same clinic as a 12 year old, um, but it, it's, a, it's a process. So it's something you start talking about. You, sh you should really start talking about in the beginning mm -hmm. uh, of like, how long can I see you for? What does that look like? The more ownership you take of your healthcare, it'll be easier, right? So um, knowing your physicians, know how to reach, that, reach them, what's your team, what does it look like? Are you seeing a, a, a someone who's a fellow who's going to be there for a couple of years? Right. Or is this a, a practice where this person is established? is really helpful. Gamera, do you have any tips? Yeah, I think it's really important to start from the beginning. And, and, and again, you know, like with your doctor, same as with other relationships, set expectations, you know, and like, you know, know what, what the, you know, how long they can see you for. And I think that helping with the transition too is asking your doctor if you feel comfortable with that person who they recommend you go to and asking them, you know, who, what are good places you think I can go to? What have you had a good experience with that? I can feel comfortable seeing them because, you know, they know you, your doctor knows you well, and they, they have an idea of places that there are other colleagues or doctors that, that are, that could see you that maybe you would fit better with. So I think it's really important to ask your doctor who you think, um, you know, you could go to for a recommendation. And that's a good place to start too, um, to finding other places. But, but yeah, starting it early and, and understanding, you know, it's just clear and upfront that, you know, you don't get surprised. Like, I can't come back. <laughs> yeah. um, I will say I'm currently in the, in the process of transitioning because I will be moving to Philadelphia in a few months. Um, and so I have to break up with a lot of people actually um, my, for my own health. And um, 
Yeah, I actually do ask for recommendations because circles are small. You have to think that people, physicians go to conferences together. They train with different people. Guillermo and I might never work in the same state again, but I always know that I have him as a person who takes care of like trans youth or LGBTQ youth and gives them great care. People often will be like, oh, I went to medical school with this person. You should, they're, they're in that town that you're in or that city you're in, or, you know, this is the adult team that we work with. I've heard great things about them in the past. So asking for the recommendation versus just going is really helpful. And I would tell you like I am moving in September or August and September. um, And I started having the conversation in January, really in January and, and, and February, because I knew that I was going to have a new job come summer. Um, and I, you know, I talked to my, my, I, I mean, I have a lot of people, so I'm not gonna mention all my business, but like, you know, if you have a therapist, you have to break up with a therapist. You have to like really talk about what are you going to focus in in the next six months and where will you transition? And she had already had someone picked out and that's really helpful because she can already send the information there and like have a warrant, what we call a warm handoff, um, which is basically like someone, you know, either in person or like having a phone call conversation about this is what I've been working with with this person. And um, I really think that you guys would fit well. Uh, even like, you know, even my gynecologist was like, oh, I trained with somebody. She, you know, I trained in Philadelphia. A couple of my colleagues are still there. I'll give you a couple of names, um, you know. And then if you have medication, like, you know, if you, th- these things you need to have enough to last you between, between having a new provider and not, right? Like say you might go six months without health insurance or something. You know, people can give you a six month dispense, six months of something or three months of something if needed to hold you over. Um, so being vocal about, you know, transition, talking about it um, and starting early and asking for recommendations is helpful. Right. And, and we need yeah. to do more like as providers, like it is, sure, it is yeah. my job. like, I mean, I have certain people who are a bit more complicated that I have already like in my head been like, okay, I gotta, I gotta make sure they land someplace good. Um, because I don't want them to like just fall off the planet. Right. And I mean, as somebody who is like approaching the age of transition as well, and also leaving the city in a few months, it's very crucial. So yes, I completely agree. What happened? Where are you headed? Oh, no, I'm going upstate. (laughs) So I have to do clinicals upstate in like in a few months. So I start like, I have to do clinicals and I'll probably just be like, upstate for like two years and then I just then I just come back down and just like finish in the city but who knows because I don't even know like for sure where I'm going right now I'm just I'm just fielding acceptances so well let us know I have some friends in Rochester or I know that some people in Rochester who are excellent so I won't be going up that far but I I might be even I might be going either past what Rochester or with it, or like maybe like maybe right outside the city. So I'll definitely let you and Guillermo know. <laughs> no problem. But that you know sometimes that's just transition, right? Like yeah, I'm going here. You know anybody here? Where yes. <laughs> Especially if you have a provider you trust. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um. Thank you guys so much again for joining yeah. us for all the amazing information you have blessed us with. And I know I appreciate it. People listening will appreciate it. Truly, thank you for taking time out of your day um, for being here. Thank you so much. Thank thank you. you. Thanks for for having me. You're very welcome. This was great. This was fun.
So that is it for today's episode. You can follow today's guests at their Twitter accounts in the description below. If you have any questions, feel free to direct it to any of the resources listed on our Instagram page at Licorice Chicks Podcast. Peace.